0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.
0: I'm in a
2: period of emotional people. That's all the, I don't care crap. A little
1: adventure. Where are you going?
2: I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia.
1: Let's do it. Goes a long way. Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox.
2: Life can hurt, but life
1: is sweet. Little way rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Goat
2: presents The Van Flip Podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of The Van Flip Podcast. Uh, this week we are honored to have one of the longest running death metal bands uh, on the podcast and with me on of that band Donald from obituary thanks for uh, joining us today Donald how are you feeling today
0: I'm doing great man how are you how are you doing looks good I mean I'm, I'm, I'm doing good and it looks good in your backyard I would assume you're back home <laughs> yeah yeah we just made it back home from uh, from the Europe tour and uh, as everybody can see we are uh, Florida bound and uh, nothing but blue Beautiful blue skies here in Florida, 80 degrees outside. So life is good back, back home because the Europe tour was, was cold. Yeah. You know, it, was a, it was a cold January tour.
2: I could imagine. I also am, um, I also am based in Florida, so I, I share your sentiment about the, the weather being awesome currently right now. So, oh, well, awesome. Yeah, I'm, just, right on. Uh, I'm in North Florida, so Jacksonville. But you're, uh, you're around the Tampa area, correct?
0: Yeah, we are. And the, the, I'm at the studio right now. This is, uh, this is my brother's house so it's it's tampa area but this is where we've been for going on 25 years with the with the studio and the band
2: oh nice um and then, yeah. you know you guys came up in that area within that uh
0: you know the the gold rush <laughs> yeah. so to speak of like death metal <laughs> yeah yeah we actually we grew up my brother and i anyway um grew up in in uh miami florida and uh moved moved to tampa in 1980 so i was just a child i was an 11 year old kid leaving miami to tampa and uh Luckily, I moved uh, into Brandon, Florida, into a neighborhood. And the first dude I saw riding his bike past me, I was like, hey, what's up, man? It happened to be Trevor. So, Oh, nice. <laughs> so history, history was made right away.
2: Yeah, I was going to see, like, I was going to ask what you think uh, the longevity of just, like, the core members of the band, like... You know, it's been the same core unit for a long, if not most, the entire time. Um, yeah. What do you What do you think plays into that? Was it just because, like, yeah, obviously, it's you and your brother, but then you've met someone randomly, and that the first person you meet in your area is someone you've created this lifelong relationship with? Though?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. It, it was. It was pure luck by chance, whatever you call it, fate. Um, But, yeah, you know, I was a 10-year-old kid, 11-year-old kid when we moved from Miami to Tampa, and uh, I was already really into drums by then. Like, music entered my life at a super early age. By seven or eight years old, I already knew kind of how to play snare drum, and I was freaking out on Led Zeppelin, and I was freaking out on drums. And um, so when I moved to Brandon, you know, I was begging my mom um, to just buy me buy me a drum a drum and she yeah. you know she did she bought me a snare drum and uh and so i was in my in my parents backyard as a 11 year old kid and i think trevor heard me playing a snare drum and i saw him dry, you know ride his bicycle past a couple times and uh and, and he finally i think he finally stopped and like hey man and i'm like hey cool bike <laughs> you know and he's like cool snare drum so he just saw me again and again and again you know, playing my snare and I was just totally freaking out on drums and music and stuff. And he ended up being like a a total metalhead Iron Maiden fan, uh, as well. And so, you know, we just immediately became best friends and, uh, his, his record collection at his house, which was just a five minute bike ride from my house was Iron Maiden and, you know, possessed and just like heavy metal. And my record, like, my record collection as a child was my oldest brother Greg, which was Molly Hatchet, Outlaws, Leonard Skinner Led Zeppelin, yeah. Queen, Ted Nugent. You know, just rock and roll. More classic. And so, stuff, of course, yeah. yeah, classic. And so, you know, we just become we just became friends, and uh, and music music was that pathway that we both were like really freaking out on, and uh, and that that was really the birth of Executioner. Is uh just having music in our lives and wanting to be musicians. And then, of course, having a nasty savage and having sabotage right here in our hometown as mm-hmm. children, where we could ride our bicycles and go see him practice. I mean, that was uh, that was the tell-all. I mean, it was the reason why I said I'm going to be a drummer. And Trevor rode his bike home and begged his mom day after day for a guitar until she bought him an electric guitar and an amp. And uh. <laughs> And and there you have it. Just started
2: being a nuisance in the neighborhood after that, huh?
0: Yeah, you know, we just we just loved music, and we just we knew what we wanted. We wanted to, we wanted to be a band. I just want to be a band.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you were around. <laughs> yeah, like you said, you were around a lot of it, and you were around at a time that was such a crazy time for death metal, which we'll get into in a little bit here, but. um yeah, so like how did you kind of make that was was it maybe like your more so your peers like you know Trevor joining you uh, in your day-to-day life as a friend uh, showing you other stuff outside of classic rock is that how you kind of got into the more heavier stuff cuz obviously you're also like jo- you're also becoming friends like we were just talking about at a time where death metal's starting to kind of, you know, get a yeah. little leg get its legs on us uh, yeah. in, the, in the area but you know. So how does that how do you kind yeah. of make that transgression?
0: Trans- yeah, I mean, trans- it's exactly pretty much the way you can imagine. You know, I was a child of music. My dad loved music. He was Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings fan, um, country music lover. And uh, and my oldest brother was just ACDC rock. He was just a rock guy, Ted Nugent and, and Led Zeppelin. And uh, that, that just grew. I mean, that, that's, that was my upbringing. So then when I met Trevor, he was into... A little bit heavier, you know, of course, Metallica, Iron Maiden, right. uh, Black Sabbath. And um, I i never experienced that music. Uh, this was 1981, so I didn't know what that was, you know, at the time. And uh, I loved it. I was like, holy shit, like, like, my God, Black Sabbath, holy crap. And so it was. It was just a love of music from both of us that uh, – uh, and as children, you know, you're into sports – he was, he was a really good baseball player, Trevor was. I was a baseball player. I, I played every sport there was, literally, meaning my mom was driving me from soccer practice. I was in the back of her station wagon, changing into my football jersey, into my football uniform, and then on weekends, going from soccer to a baseball game. We were just really athletic um, sports freaks as well. But then, of course, music kind of took over. And, yeah. uh, and 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 that was the end of sports for us. You know, it just I entered um, junior high school still wanting to be a musician. So I was in the marching band. I was in orchestra. I was learning it all. And 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 of course, then heavy metal entered our lives, and Slayer ruined it all for us.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. I feel you.
0: <laughs> you know, the minute the minute you know the minute I heard Show No Mercy, Hello Awaits, I knew. And then of course, Possessed, uh, Venom. And, and Hellhammer I was like, my god this, this is what I this is the direction I think we we want to go there's no question about that mm-hmm. and then uh, and, and, and again that was the birth of, of what executioner was trying to do and, and wanted to be and we had our big brothers sabotage and nasty savage to kind of guide us because they were older than we were. they were already doing shows in, in Tampa. Uh, again, we're talking about 1982 yeah. 84, yeah. I mean that's so I wasn't allowed to go to a a club, but by the by 1984 85, we were sneaking into clubs. You know, I was using my older friends' uh, IDs to get into the uh, Dollar Pitcher Night (laughs) at at Ruby's Pub in Tampa. You know, watching Nasty Savage on stage, and uh, and it did. That's that's kind of what made me want to be a heavy metal drummer. How um,
2: you know, a lot of people have to sit some time with like a new thing like you know like death metal it's not necessarily uh welcoming to the to the layman's ear for the most part you have to sit you have to sit with it a while until you really figure out you're, you're really enjoying it and you're you know you're finding out more about it just not so surface level how long did it take you uh, you know from going from like the Molly Hatchet Led Zeppelin Leonard Skinner vibe to just like I really do love this really angry new form of music that's coming out
0: yeah if I said Overnight, that would not be um, fast enough. It was instant. It was instant. Yeah. Um, Hellhammer. <clears throat> Venom. Venom. Bl- black Metal. Venom. Mm. That album. And Welcome to Hell. And then uh, Hellhammer. When we heard Hellhammer, I said, immediately, I said, Hey, what's up? It's Lurk. Looks like you're enjoying the podcast. If
2: you are and you like what we're doing here on the Van Flip, why don't you go ahead and pause this and give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to find out any information on your favorite bands from the hardcore and metal scene, visit lambgoat.com. And to stay in the loop about everything that we post on lambgoat.com, make sure you like us on Facebook, and you head over to Twitter and Instagram and follow us at lambgoat. Are you a full-grown adult and you also have a TikTok account? Congrats. Follow us on TikTok as well. You can find us under the username lambgoat.com. That's spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. Head over to our YouTube channel where we have all of these podcasts in video format, plus a lot more content that you should check out. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and you hit that notification bell so you're always alerted when we upload new content. And last but not least, if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LurkCity. And as always, if you need any of the links that pertain to the artists on the show today, Lamb Goat or myself, you can always find them in the description.
0: Thanks for listening to this message. Now let's get back to the show. This cuz I love Slayer, I love Metallica and we, everybody was freaking out on on these bands in 83 but it was Hellhammer where I was like oh my god this is this is the heaviest thing I possibly could have ever heard I couldn't turn my stereo up my brother's stereo up any louder I think I blew his his speakers up his Kenwood mm. uh, his Kenwood speaker when we, cuz we had the Hellhammer uh vinyl oh wow and um and I remember just turning it up as loud as we could, and me and my brother and Trevor were just like, "Holy fucking shit! Like this, this is this is it. This is what um, this is what we have to do, because this is extreme, slayers fast and and ridiculous. And I I couldn't even relate to Dave Lombardo's talent, but I can relate to Hell, to Hellhammer and how heavy it was, and uh, and same with Venom. And uh, and that was the beginning of it, and it was instant. It was like that. It wasn't oh. even overnight. It, it was like put the needle down. Holy shit, this is it. Interesting.
2: Done. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of the times, I find that I listen to stuff, especially in the metal world. Like, uh, w- like I'm getting into like a lot of like post metal stuff. So it's like a lot. It's way different than the metal that I was used to, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the longer I sit with it, the more I like just find myself gravitating towards it, even though it's like a eight minute long slow slong of just random yeah. noises and stuff but uh, yeah um, I, I get really into it and then I just find myself you know if I need something to listen to it I just put that on the background which yeah. is totally different but
0: yeah I mean it, they're, they're, everybody knows I mean where we are um, we are an open book obituary is an open book because there's been s- so much history and and everybody knows our history you know yeah. we we were super 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 lucky fortunate so lucky to be in central Florida and in Tampa right at that time, right in 85, 86, 87, 88. That oh, that, that 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 was the peak. That was when it was like literally the roots were growing and it, it all of a sudden, what happened? There's a there's executioner, but then there's death. You know, yeah. Chuck was just 100 miles away in Orlando, and he was he was he was one step ahead of of all of us death metal, meaning obituary. Deicide, Morbid Angel, Atheist. Just we were all in Tampa. And, and and Chuck was like the godfather. He he was already making great music. We were still learning ourselves. We were just writing Slowly We Rot. And mm-hmm. that, that album was early on. You know, we were we were started writing our the slowly songs in eighty six. By eighty seven, we had an album done. We got signed in eighty-eight, and they and Roadrunner realized it was only eight songs, so they they asked us to Write four more and record them. So a lot of people don't know that, but in like '87, '88, when Roadrunner wanted a piece of us, um, it was only an eight-song album, Slowly Rot. And so the last four songs on that album are uh, are the songs we had to, to get signed to Roadrunner. We had to write four more songs and and get them recorded. And the cool thing about that is, if you listen to that album, the last four songs on Slowly we Rot were were recorded on a completely different session, oh, meaning. Wow a year a year before that we wrote we went into more sound and recorded slower up but when we got signed they wanted it to be they said ep you know eight eight songs is only an ep this has got to be a full-length album so you gotta you gotta go get more so we we wrote four more songs and we entered more sound for a second time a third time for a bitch for executioner but we entered again meaning set the drum kit back up Totally different style. Probably a different snare drum. The amps. So how we can try to emulate the same exact sound? Because it's going to be on the same album. Uh, it, it, I guess my point is the interesting thing for the history buffs is if you listen to Slowly Rot, the last four songs on the album are the ones that we wrote a year later and we re- re- re-recorded, or just had to go back and record those four songs. So there is a slight difference in the uh, in the tones and the cymbal sound mm-hmm. and. And all and all that good shit. So, um, you know, there, there's there's the the beginning of death metal for for uh, for Donald Hardy and for, <laughs> for 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 Obituary. You know, it was yeah. it was Chuck, it was Death, and it was Deicide and Obituary. All kind of like we were so lucky that we were in the same town together.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like that. I want to get into that a little bit as we go on. But how old were you guys when you started? You know, your first bands because uh, you you must have been like mid teens or something like that. Real young. Uh,
0: I was 14 years old when we wrote um, Executioner's Metal Up Your Ass, which is uh, a- <laughs> sounds like a 14 which year old
2: is, song there. Yeah, year old it is,
0: and, 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 uh, and it was a six song demo tape that we went into the Uh, Morrisound. uh We were one of the only bands, probably on this planet, um, heavy metal bands, that can say that we recorded at the first Morrisound Studios, uh, not the one that was on 56th Ave, that's still there. Um, uh, it's no longer Morrisound, but um, the one that was there for 20 years, um, there was a Morrisound studio before that on mm-hmm. Florida Avenue. And um, Executioner, we were just children. In 1984, we wrote songs. And by 1985, to answer your question, I was 15 years old, and we entered the studio to record a demo that Trevor's dad um, financed. Oh, wow. <laughs> Basically went went and paid for his silly teenage boys to uh to go in and just make fools of ourselves i didn't even own a drum set uh at the time i was practicing like at a friend's house and then when we got to more sound they had a little five piece Gretsch drum drum kit that that i was like i don't have a drum set they're like well we got this i'm like okay and there you go 1985 studio set studio set and i just we went in there in uh i think we were there for one day and we did six songs and mixed it and everything like in one day or one, or one weekend. Hmm. And, uh, and that was it, and uh, that was the beginning of it all.
2: Yeah, those are the times where you can knock it out in a day like that, you know? You didn't really care how, how good it sounded or you know if everything was perfect like you do probably these days, but you know.
0: Yeah, well even if you cared, uh, you didn't have the time. So whether <laughs> yeah. you, whether ca- yeah, that's you true. Whether cared or not, you just kind of had to. It's yeah. like, dude, let's get the sounds. Okay, drum kit sounds good. How's that song? I don't know. I think I messed that part up. Who cares? Move on. You got five more songs to yeah. go. Hurry up! <laughs> it's almost four o'clock in the afternoon. We got to get out of here.
2: Yeah, they want to get so out. That, the, the the adults need to get out and have their life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to be beholden yeah. to like a bunch of teens. And J- you know, on.
0: and the, what's and what's cool about it is Tom and Jim Morris, um, the Morris brothers. They were young as well. You know, they're probably about ten years older than than us, bucks. At the time, we were just young bucks, but but they were young as well, man. They couldn't have been 25-year-old guys. Uh, Maybe maybe Tom was 30. Jim was probably about 28. So they were super young as well. Their father was an engineer, a studio engineer. And that's how they got into the business. And um, again, we were one of their first, you know, clients that were just these kids that were like, we want to play heavy metal. (laughs) And the the music was horrible. Those songs are embarrassingly bad. I'm almost glad that most of them, like, they disappeared. We lost all the real to real the oh, masters wow. everything got lost in the 80s um and it's probably a good thing cuz it, it's not good
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting <laughs>
0: um what,
2: so what what was it like you know like you we keep mentioning the the beginning stages of like death and morbid angel and deicide and all those bands just being like so close but like what's it like just you know and looking back now cuz at the time you guys probably didn't realize like you know hanging around chuck and death and all that was so paramount, yeah. but now obviously you've had like, you know, decades to look back on that. Like, what was yeah. it like just being involved, being a young kid, being a young, you know, like before you even obituary, obviously, but even the beginning yeah, of the yeah. obituary, what was it like just being around? It was
0: awesome. It was awesome, dude. It's a good question because, you know, like you said, decades now, decades to where now, now that I'm a 53 year old dude, <laughs> wow, um, huh? I, I can look back now and realize that at 16, 17, and 18 years old, sneaking in. To watch Nasty Savage on stage, Chuck coming and playing Tampa from Orlando, and uh, and and, and finally Obituary getting to play a show with him. Um, you know, obit- uh, Executioner at the time, Executioner and Death played um, Sunset Club on Fletcher Avenue oh. in 1986 on Halloween night, and uh, I, I didn't think much about it back then, but thinking about it now that it's been 30, going on 40 years ago, it was an it was amazing because. Because there could have been a lot of, like, I don't know how to say it. There could have there could have been, like, competition and bad blood and huffy, right. and puffy shit about who's playing last and whose logo is bigger on the flyer. But honestly, man, maybe because we're just Florida guys, maybe in New York or in Buffalo and uh, over in California, maybe there was a lot of that, you know, stabbing people in the back and who's going to headline and blah. But honestly, and maybe it wasn't, but for me, here in Florida, it was more of like, I was so stoked, I was so happy to see my friends doing, like doing well, like Deicide, like yeah. Glenn, Glenn and Steve have been my friends since I was a teenager, and um and they still are. They're still one of my closest friends in the music community, and um, never, not once in my in my mind anyway, did I ever go, God, I think Obituary uh, uh, and Deicide, I don't think they're bigger than us, and I don't think we should be opening not we were like yeah yeah fuck yeah yeah fuck yeah and i'd be the first one in the front row singing singing with glenn or when chuck came i would be the first one to just somehow sneak into that club because again i wasn't even old enough to yeah, get underage, into the yeah. clubs underage and so it was like you know it was that friendly it was friendly competition i think but um at the same time it was a it was a metal family maybe because that was long before smartphones internet blogging people crying on their on their socials and everyone's got their comments and their complaints it was so different back then and anyone that's of age right. uh, uh, of the age before that they all know man when you say it was a different world it it really was yeah. and i don't know how to explain that except it was just way more innocent way more down to earth way more small town Um, brothers I mean they they were my brothers man there was no question about it when when, when DSI would play a show Nasty Savage Sabotage would play a show we weren't mad because they were playing a show without us we were the first ones to be in line to get in
2: Mm, because
0: I mean we were so we were so stoked I mean it's our family
2: it makes sense that you know everything was more tight knit because I want to say like even back in the 80s, uh, I was born in '83, so I don't necessarily have a huge you know reference point on like yeah. what the population was like in Florida at that time. But <laughs> I've right. definitely seen it grow over the last you know four decades. So um, you know like that's another thing that comes to mind is there wasn't that many people really living you know down in Florida, especially like Central Florida area. It wasn't Tampa as t- of today with like bush gardens and all these tourist attractions and and everything like even disney wasn't even that big of a a draw so to speak that at that time like it is now but um it's crazy that you know a lot of that probably played into it it was such a smaller tight-knit community there wasn't a lot of you know action going around as far as probably music is concerned but it is crazy that one of the most like wildest genres kind of like you know took hold in that little part of the country
0: yeah, and, and you know how many times can you can you imagine over the last, th- I mean, three decades of my career, of the questions that that's that's that category right there of like it, it's amazing. And how did that? How do you think that worked? And right there, a small town, and yeah. and how ha- and how in the world do you have obituary, deicide, atheist, malevolent creation, morbid angel, uh, and, and and death, and, yeah. and the Godfather, all right there when we are, we are, we all had a huge chisel right and and definitely etched uh our our names in in that in that death metal um history and it's amazing and yes that that was so long ago and it sounds funny saying that <laughs> because i i still feel like i'm a 20 year old kid yeah, when it comes to music metal playing my drums performing for for my for my fans i i still feel young at heart and i am but it's it, it was different it was before I mean think about this I was I, I already wrote slowly mm-hmm. so we're already playing some shows and we're opening for savage and we're opening for death but yet do you think how much do you think I knew about entombed and yeah shit going on in Europe there was no internet there was magazines
2: yeah that, that, was, an a, that, that was another parator. question yeah i was going to ask you again yeah. like back in the day obviously it was a lot of tape trading and all this out the other stuff but right you're so young and you're being right. you're being shown all of this like well at the time we didn't realize it was yeah. monumental music but like now looking back you right. have you have all this like top-notch shit. it's like you're trading right. tapes and just talking to kids at the shows right
0: if you're a tape trader and you know how many you know what the percentage of people that actually cared <laughs> enough to actually tape trade um, like one percent, like the Terry Butler's of the world, mm. he was the one. He's the old, probably the only friend I, I knew that was seriously like you know tape trading and and writing a letter and putting a stamp on it and sending it to a dude in New York or wow. in or in you know or in in Holland and uh, talking about metal in Europe and seeing what the metal scene is in UK and you know <laughs> it's just I was I was way too busy. I was a hyperactive youngest of four children sports band just drums motorcycles it would, every, I had way more to do than tra- tape trade yeah. <laughs> my tape trading my tape trading was when I got into Trevor's car he was he's a, a year older to me so when his parents finally bought him his Firebird which was awesome Yeah. every time I get in there he had a different cassette he's like Terry just burned me a copy of uh, Sacrifice and I'm like killer let's listen to it I'm like holy shit this is yeah. awesome where are they from. Who cares? This is killer. And uh and that's the way it was, you know. Tape yeah. traders, they were like really into it, but someone like me, I didn't take I didn't trade one tape. I just stole or borrowed tapes and didn't give them back to friends. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the other thing I want to kind of touch base with uh on that back in that time frame uh and then we'll kind of slowly move out of out of the uh, past decades, but Morris Sound, Morris Sound is like, cause I also lived on 56. I, I lived in Brandon actually for a little while and then I lived in uh, Tampa by the school at USF. So I'm familiar with uh, Morris Sound, but also um, I had friends bands that were record there. And I was, I think I just was uneducated at the time. This was like 15 years ago or so. I was uneducated as to like what other bands had like graced that, you know, that studio. So I didn't really think too much of it until I started kind of hearing it <laughs> again, like over the years. I'd be like, "Oh, this band recorded this album there." I'm like, "What?" The same one that my like sh- my brand my friend's shitty band recorded at, you know? <laughs> yeah. But like, how yeah. did how do you think um, Morris Sound became that like destination for for bands that are in the death metal metal like and metal world? Because like you were saying, you met those the Morris brothers when they were really young. So like, could you tell yeah. they were into some there was into some like wild shit like that, or they just it just fell in their lap?
0: Well, they, they were a music studio. So if you had a if you had a tr- uh, a father bringing in a child with a trumpet and wants to put down a track uh, with his favorite cover band, uh, plan to a record. Uh, you're an engineer. You're a studio that says we're fifty five dollars an hour. You come on in. We'll record um, a church choir, um, any stupid shit that would want to come in. Of course, they're a studio. But I, I can only imagine um, they had no idea what to think when we came in there as these teenagers with mullets and listening to Venom and Metallica and then we have these dumbass very mediocre elementary type songs that were trying to sound like heavy metal and we sound like whatever it whatever the hell it was they were probably like what are you know if they weren't so nice they probably would have said guys that was fun but do yourself a favor and go back to school and get a job <laughs> <laughs> but that was you know, that was early on that was 85 so yes they were just young engineers that, that owned a the studio then they moved to more sound and to answer the question that we were just about to discuss more sound became a monumental legendary studio mm-hmm. for very specific reasons death obituary deicide Morbid Angel. Yep. We all recorded then early on I, and I have a good story about this and early on like Sepultura. So Scott Burns, everybody knows the name Scott Burns. If you don't know the name Scott Burns, then you're obviously you're, 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 you need to go get history lessons on heavy metal and more sound. So Scott Burns was, um, just an, a, a helper at the studio. Um, when we were recording slowly, we rot in 19, this is the first, the first slower rot the first session. Um, there was a, an engineer at Morris sound named his name was Rick Miller. And um, halfway through the, the session. Rick's one of Rick's his mom or his dad had some medical issues so he couldn't continue. And so right in the middle of the recording, we were like, damn, no, Rick, what are we going to do? And of course the Morris brothers are kind of talking about who's going to do it. And we just said, what about Scott? And Scott, like, is the dude that's helping do patch cables, right. rolling up cables, fixing uh, the microphones at the end of the day, sweeping up, changing garbage cans. The most but experienced he was such in a, the room, obviously. But he was such a cool dude. And we were getting along so well that we just said, you know what? What about Scott, man? Let's just can, and Scott's like, "What?" <laughs> and so so his first album was our first album. Hmm. And, and so again, back to the question, Scott Burns was the reason because Scott Burns was credited for the sounds that more sound was producing but it was death it was obituary and it was deicide that were making names for ourselves meaning like my drumming even though I was only a teenager I was already pretty solid without patting myself too much on the back I was a pretty solid drummer that had a killer snare drum sound I was already doing rim shots I kind of had my style and uh and bands heard it on Your rot they 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 heard slowly rot they heard deicide and they heard they heard chuck when he when he first went to more sound everybody wanted that sound and of course next thing you know every record label was sending every band there um so back back to the sepultura story um which again now we're getting sidetracked but hey, this sidetrack how, it
2: up i don't care
0: good so this is this shows how long how long i've been going to more sound how early on more sound, um, can thank obituary because, (laughs) because so Scott Burns, uh, got offered, uh, after doing the obituary and I think a death album and, and the deicide record, um, Sepultura from Brazil wanted wanted Scott. And so they offered, they could not afford to fly the whole band to Florida. So what they did was they flew Scott to Brazil. Oh, wow. He went to Sao Paulo and recorded Beneath the Remains. Oh wow. And then he flew back to Tampa and he brought Max with him. So I was so young, Max was so young, Max spoke about this much English, mm. like literally, literally w- one or two sentences. And I, I couldn't have been 16, he was probably 16 or 17 years old and he came and uh, he stayed at my mom's house. So he stayed with me mm. at my mom's house because I still lived at home. Uh, I was just a teenager. So, so Max Cavalera comes from Brazil with Scott and and to record the vocals. So he Scott recorded the band, brought the music back, and brought Max back to sing uh, in More sound and then to mix there at More Sound to get that Morrisound sound. And uh, and again, goes back to history of of like brothers, like music brothers. Max was just a kid. He came and I said, well, just stay we have an extra, we have a spare bedroom. My sister just moved out of of my mom's house and so max came and he stayed a couple of weeks uh a couple, maybe a weekend or a, a week or so uh and he stayed with me and my brother at, at my mom's house as he recorded beneath the remains wow. so what what a what a small family
2: yeah it is it is a little tight little weird and, and i mean from the outside from like a fan's perspective they just assume that um you know I think what happens is like fans think metal and like music sometimes is the like a lot grander than it actually is. Whereas, you know, like even in my short period of being involved in like lamb goat and stuff, it's I realized like when you meet the same artist over and over again, um, you're not really necessarily friends per se, but. You have that like it's a common face situation where you've seen someone in the industry in the you know in in the realm of whatever you do and you just constantly see them and they're not necessarily like a, and i don't want this to sound bad but like a fan whereas a fan would act like a fan would and ask a bunch of questions that like a fan would and you know as they should they they want to they've met their favorite artist or person yada yada but it's one of these like working relationships whereas you know you just you realize as the years go on how really tight knit it actually is. And it probably was even way more so 30, you know, 30 plus years ago. I can only imagine what your mom was thinking when you had like, when you asked like, Hey, this Brazilian guy is going to come stay with (laughs) us. And he speaks very little English, but you know, it'll be here for a couple (laughs) of weeks. I can only imagine what, you know, uh, (laughs) what, what your parents were thinking about that.
0: Yeah, well you can imagine how open-minded are my parents because by then we already took over the garage <laughs> so the garage the garage turned into you know uh we, we hung curtains uh these carpeted curtains to like you know because we need to we we're waking up the neighborhood we were driving yeah. my mom crazy so we did our best to insulate and we hung we hung these separate curtains to try and cat you know to, to, to dappen the sound yeah. but of course that turned into us having sharpies and drawing Nasty savage logos and you know just bloody logos and just the worst the worst shit you can a, a, a worst shit that your mom can walk out and see you know big Slayer Slayer uh, logos with an upside down cross yeah. you know so you can imagine you can imagine my mom she was couldn't have been any cooler about it my dad was even cooler he he was he was a, he was a fan of ours because he saw the passion that his sons had for music and mm-hmm. wanted to be uh, musicians. So, oh, you know, open hearts and open minds, man, and 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 that's what Max experienced when he came here. It wasn't a mom saying "go to bed" uh, by eight p.m. because you have homework to do. My mom was totally cool, and she's like, you know, what does he like to eat? (laughs) So, it it was was just, it was just, it was a cool experience. Were
2: you still in school around that time? I was so would, would you was. have to like go to school and max goes to the studio to record vocals or yeah. was it like, Oh, it yeah, was something like that.
0: Like that. <laughs> yeah. Something like, that. I think I was either a senior in high school. I might've just graduated. I, I honestly can't remember exactly what year that, uh, that, 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 Scott brought, um, max back. But people watching this podcast can probably do a very quick Wikipedia <laughs> yeah. search to see when did max come to more sound and what year was it? Because I graduated in 1988. So it, it's probably right around there that, I either was just finishing up school or I, I might have already just been out of high school.
2: So you guys record your early, your, your debut uh, Roadrunner release. How long until like you're just doing the band full time? And I, I mean, wh- have you always done the band full time Have you never really had yeah, do, like, I a mean, secondary we're, we're, job type thing?
0: Yeah, we're really lucky, man. Again, we were so young that slowly, I mean, we weren't doing anything. We just couldn't believe we had a, an album. Like when it was printed, we were like, holy shit, look <laughs> at that. I got a, I got an album we didn't think about a second album or a, a three decade career. We didn't really think too much about it. So of course we were kids, we had jobs, you know, what, what are you going to do? You know, work in a kitchen, washing dishes, yeah. uh, prepping food, worked at a food warehouse, driving a forklift. And uh, and luckily, you know, by literally by 1990, I was 20 years old and we headed to Europe. And and since then, uh, luckily, besides just a few, you know, a few times in our career, it's it's been a full time uh, commitment for, for myself and my brother and Trevor. Nice. And uh, very very lucky and very fortunate to be able to say that.
2: Yeah, I would agree, and I think, uh, but I mean, I also think it's a testament to like what the band's sound is and what the band's doing over the course of the years that yeah. makes the longevity last. So you know, uh, kudos to you guys. Yep. And speaking of which, you guys just had you just released you know um, another full length, "Dying of Everything," and that was on Relapse, and you did uh, January sometime, I believe. And that's a that's a great killer record there too. I think we. Reviewed it and got one. I got a pretty high review uh, rating for Lamb Goat, which awesome. we don't necessarily deal out too many, you know, <laughs> awesome uh, scores. So to have you guys oh. do that and you know just to maintain and and, right on. and do that is, is great. Um, go ahead.
0: Well, you know, I, we are we are simple Florida guys. We're humble. We we love we love music more than more than anything else we're more passionate probably than any other band on the planet uh just about music and about performing and about writing songs that our fans are going to like and so so yes dying of everything is extremely important album to us um it's the 11th album in our 33 year career and uh i personally could not be more proud of it i think it's by far our best album we've ever even considered writing and 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 recording and um and it shows, you know, it hit it hit charts in America that we've never seen before. Yeah. Uh, we were number two in Germany. We were number three here in America, only, only Taylor Swift. And one other band was ahead of our album sales when the album came out, which is completely ridiculous. Yeah, um, that's part, that's, that's pure luck when it comes to what day did you release the album and what other band put an album out, <laughs> which was actually, it was Metallica's, that single they put out right when we put our single out. Uh-huh. And then of course at the time, Taylor Swift, um, still dominates as she deserves uh dominates the airwaves and, and album sales but you know again could not be more proud of my band and I, I i love this new album um more than more than any album that i've even uh considered uh playing re- writing recording and calling an obituary album
2: do you um cuz you guys go a, a handful of years between albums. So you'll, you'll do like these, you know, three to six year chunks where you kind of go in between re- writing and recording an album. Do yeah. you ever get nervous about like how that will like, you know, how it will be perceived or, you know, the reception well, of it because it's so long has gone and so much changes in, in music at that time.
0: Yeah. I mean, you should, I guess you could, if if you allowed that to enter your brain, but again, let let's kind of realize what, how long 33 years is
2: <laughs> long
0: solar rot solar rot came out in 1989 by 90 we already wrote and recorded and released cause of death yeah. within the same calendar year the incomplete came out 1 year later world demise came out 1 year later so we were that band we were pumping out the first four albums and their monster records um from what from what the fans say <laughs> um so we were that band we were It was just flowing out of us. You know, we were nonstop. We were unstoppable and we were putting out those first four or five albums. It was every year. And then of course, every other year when it came from back from the dead and then after back from the dead, that's when we just took a break. Seven years went by boom back from the dead. uh, Frozen in time comes out after a seven year hiatus. Um, Doesn't, we don't need to talk about why the hiatus happened, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's already read about it. Right, Right. You know, we, we, we never talked about, Hey, let's take a break. We just came home. People started having children. We're adults now. It's the fifth album. Things happen. You know, everyone's got jobs. I didn't know what I was doing. I was was still just playing drums. Two years went by. Andrew WK hit me up as a young 20 year old. And he's like, dude, you know, I love your drumming obituaries. One of my favorite death metal bands. Would you want to do this with me next thing you know for five years i was doing andrew yeah i saw uh, I, I saw that. i
2: saw you perform at uh, i think ozfest 02 in that time frame awesome yeah that was a yeah time. it was
0: in 2000 in 2000 he wrote me a letter <laughs> again going back 23 years yeah. ago <laughs> so before before he could just throw me a text <laughs> he wrote me a letter in in the in 1999 or in 2000 and um and he just you know he, he told me who he was anyway Long story short, um, I put a band together with him. I was a part of his first album, the Party Hard yep. record. Classic, and, uh, classic. And, and all my friends, he's like, you know, we're, si- I'm signed to, uh, at the time Geffen records. He was signed to a major record label and, uh, it was big stink. And, and he's like, I need a band. And I said, do you want me to put a band together for you? So all those dudes in that band were my friends. Uh, besides Jimmy Koo, his, his main guitar player, who was now one of my best friends in the world. Um. So yeah, I put a band together. It was a concept. It was just a conception and it went from zero to like a hundred thousand miles an hour. Yeah. Go a gold record over Saturday night live performance, uh, flying on Learjets, going to Oz playing Conan O'Brien, <laughs> you know, it's like playing yeah. top of the pops, which no one knows in America what top of the pops is, but it's the biggest, longest running music type TV show in England. It's like, it makes Saturday night live look like, a. Um, like it's been around for only two t- yeah. two minutes. Top of the Pops is something that's like eighty years yeah, you can YouTube, in the making.
2: You can YouTube it. And yeah, anyone, anyone who's anyone is on that show for sure. Yeah,
0: exactly. Anyone who's anyone, and that, that was so long ago with Top of the Pops. I mean, there was three artists that day, and I forget who the first one was, but you know who who played right before Andrew WK, Alicia Keys. Oh wow, a new artist. No one yeah, knew yeah, yeah. she was like a, a chick playing piano. Next thing you know, who is Alicia? She ended up being one of the biggest artists on, on the planet. Yeah. So anyway, so blah, blah, blah. That, that was our break. I, that was my break anyway. For five years, I did Andrew. And then, of course, on OzFest 2003 or 2004, um, Andrew said, dude, we're playing in Miami. Do you think maybe you guys would want to come and play two obituary songs on stage? I'm like, I'll ask my guys. And we did it. And it ended up being so much fun. <laughs> obituary got back together. Got the band back <laughs> so together, we can, yeah. We could thank Andrew WK for putting obituary back together. I'd, so there you go. I definitely want to kind of
2: touch base on the Andrew thing because that's such a wild, you know, offshoot from what you know, obituary, Deicide, and death and all all all, yeah. all of those sounds are. But like Andrew obviously is into that, uh, you know, heavily and grew up on that. But like, and you know, I'm assuming you guys have talked about this, but you know, when you probably first heard the first batch of like Andrew WK songs. As I, I I I heard it and was like, what like you know, Party Hard. When I heard Party Hard, I was like, what the hell is this shit? You know, it didn't. Yeah. It took a while for it to really embed and infect my brain to where like, then yeah. you know, the album became like you know, I get wet. I, I love that album. Yeah. But yeah. At the beginning, it just seemed very strange. And knowing that it was, you know, backed by like all these death metal people, it just seemed so weird. What was it? Yeah. What was it like when you received that first batch of demos and you were like, what is,
0: well, this? you can imagine, I mean, it, cause it was demo. Yeah. He yeah. sent me, he sent me four songs and it was, it was party hard. She is beautiful. Um, I think I get wet. And, um, in fact, I think it was, um, he was just, it might not have been I Love New York City. In fact, he he was just writing I Love New York City. He actually asked me, and I forget, someone else, probably his dad or one of his friends, she, he was considering naming it something else when he had his lyrics, and and he he decided New York City because at first he was saying I love something else. And um, so, yeah, it was demo tape. So you can imagine how, without sounding like, like I didn't like it, D- Andrew W.K. demos were very strange. It was like piano <laughs> and punk and weird and yeah. totally not my style, but in, in all honesty, that's what drew me to wanting to be in a, uh, to be a part of Andrew is cause I was not going to be the dude to go and start another death metal band. Yeah. I have my death metal bands. My brother, my brother's the best death metal singer in the world. I wasn't about to go and just start some death metal band with just some dudes here in Tampa, just, to try and start over. I knew we were just on a break and Andrew's stuff was polar opposite, completely weird, happy, weird, <laughs> yeah. piano meets metal. He wasn't sure what direction he was going, but I saw the talent. If you could watch out if you watch Andrew play piano or play guitar, you see what a talented musician oh, he is. He's also a showman.
2: He's just a great showman too, you know. And that's oh, He's just weird. awesome.
0: He's and 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 I knew, and, you know, when he told me, "Look, man, Defin Records is about to sign me. It's gonna be a, a, a major record label thing. And I need a drummer. I I need someone, you know, I want I I would love to see you help me with this. And I immediately, I I wanted that challenge. It was four on the floor, yeah, drumming with that rock with just that rock and roll feel with just pure drive and the energy and the positive vibe that the dude put out. It was right up my alley because I'm the same way, man. I, I'm I'm one of the most hyperactive, positive straightforward crazy dudes you'll you'll meet when it comes to uh, having fun on tour and playing drums and playing music. So Andrew and I got al- got along immediately and uh and and we, and we were really good friends right off the bat and I I was very proud to to know that I was kind of showing him the ropes mm. not just on stage but but on tour. Yeah. You know, I brought all those dudes on the road. They 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 had never entered a a tour bus and the etiquette of not leaving all your shit all around the fucking bus and in the backstage room and losing your passport and everything. <laughs> Uh, you know, I was very proud to to make make fun of somebody or or yell at somebody if if they made a fool of themselves, of whether they they got wrecked one night or they made an idiot of themselves on stage or backstage or on an, even on a day off. So it was just a cool experience for me to be that not necessarily big brother because I was the smallest guy in the band, but the experience, dude, that people look look towards when it comes to doing something right, when mm. if they did something wrong
2: yeah the elder touring musician to showing the ropes for the kids or the, right. young, the young guys yeah right um back back to dying of everything what were some of the challenges that you guys had in recording this album that's you know comp- that was different from the albums prior
0: yeah that's a good question you know had we had we been different human beings maybe we could have and would have put pressure on ourselves and worried about what is it going to be like and. After 10 albums, how are we going to, what are we going to do? Are we going to top things? Are we going to make it better? Are we going to make it as good? Can we make something? We didn't worry about any of that. And we've always been this way, man. Me and Trevor, we are simple. We are easygoing guys. We do not put pressure on ourselves. I could care less about what other bands are doing around here in Tampa. I could care less what's going on in the UK. I don't care what bands on top of the charts right now with new metal music. We're simple. We, we, We do one thing. We walk into the garage, we walk into our studio, we crack a cold beer, and we literally just jam. Something's gonna happen when we do that. And it's usually within the first 15 or to 30 minutes. And when something happens, we focus on that and it becomes an obituary song. If it doesn't happen within that first literally that first hour, we don't even worry about it. We just oh, wow. we know there's tomorrow. Tomorrow's gonna be better. And thankfully with this album, hit after hit. Every time we did a Every time we had an idea, whether it was a guitar riff or me waking up in the middle of the night going and showing Trevor and just saying, "Dude, I this could be cool." Every time we did it, we did not turn down one idea on it, and it ended up being a ten-song album that people always say, well, "Hey, what's the song that you're proud of that you want to play?" And I always say, "Put a dartboard on the wall and put the song titles and and close my eyes and throw it." Any song that it hits, I'm proud of. I'm proud of it on this album, and we it would represent what this album um, is for. Obituary, our style, our where we are in life right now as a band and and as musicians.
2: Is there anything that you guys have picked up along the way in the last? You know, obviously you've had a long, a long career in it, but like in the last handful of years that you kind of added to this record <laughs> as far as like whether it's things that are going on in death metal or yeah. other, other forms of metal.
0: Yeah, and I th- and it sounds stupid, but is um making it more basic, uh-huh. simplifying it. We call it dumbing it down. Keep it, keep it super, just simple, stupid. And you could, you, could, you could sit there and think about a song for eight hours in there and try to be all clever and come up with some crazy double bass shit or some fast part that you think is needed on that. But what we do is when we write something, when we think, ah, we're done for the day, just hit save on the computer. And don't even listen to it then. Put it away, go to bed, come back here the next day, do a hit of weed and listen to it. And then what do you got? It's either gonna be like, damn, that was kinda killer. And of course, immediately you start thinking, if it has a little bridge right here, you don't need to make some crazy left-hand turn when it should have been a right, but just listen to it and honestly say, how can it kinda be a better song, an obituary song? Not necessarily more complex, not faster not uh, is there enough rhythms in this part but how can this song be even better or more killer and most of the time we realize that it's keeping what we got and 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 simplifying it you know if people listen to obituary albums to do this (laughs) yeah they just groove to it and that's what we got we got that mid tempo groove that that we've always had in our career and we wanted to stay true to that you know and 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 then to to stay on the same subject is uh what did we do different we took we took 10 prior studio sessions of of experience and we made sure that when we entered the studio this time you do your checklist and what is the checklist how can you prepare yourself to make a, a good album well the first thing i just said prepare yourself do not hit record until you're 100% prepared, confident and sure of the song that you're going to record. Not like, hey, I was still thinking about that drum fill in this one part and uh, rewind it. Let me try something out. I knew exactly from the first fucking note to the last ending of each song. I knew exactly in my mind what I wanted on drums. I just needed to get in there and I needed to execute it. And so what did we do? I practiced it again and again and again to where a lot of those songs were almost just one takes Mm -hmm. because again, we are not Meshuga. we are not lamb of god we are not doing crazy bass drum shit um we're just doing basic groove metal and uh and what do i have to 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 prove and 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 to to get my point across with with that mid-tempo groove is solid confidence Mm. And, and 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 there's one thing i am good at it's not that I am the best drummer in the world. Lord knows I there are dudes that are running circles around me um, night and day. But it's my imagination and my ability to take a song that is kind of cool and make it kind of great.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, and it sounds like the the process of writing the record didn't take too long. Because, you, you, like you said, you, you had ten kind of ideas and they all became like full-fledged songs. Yeah. So. How long did yeah. you guys spend? How long did you spend on the record, as far as writing it and well, recording it? That,
0: that, that, there you go. That could be a super long answer, <laughs> because because we all know what happened. Yeah. You know, there was a there was a pandemic involved, so we were let's let's rewind to 2018. We were on tour in Europe with Slayer. We knew that we wanted to get home, write an album, get it recorded, and get back to Europe and do a headline tour while all those Slayer fans are waiting and and wanting. And what happens? A pandemic hits so we took that time that over the years every time trevor came up with a cool rhythm on tour on his guitar you'd see him he'd he'd get his phone he'd hit record and he would record it then he would just save it so we for years we were just doing ideas i would hum something in my phone and send it to him or my brother and just say dude just just remember that like maybe on that one part i heard you just jamming the other day what if we went (laughs) And then, so we just accumulated a bunch of ideas over the years. But to answer the question directly, it it didn't take very long. It, you know, we, we were in the studio for a month, maybe uh-huh. six weeks of like really grinding of the songs that we were now very confident with. And, uh, and again, preparation was everything. So by the time we did get in the studio, put the new drum heads on, put the microphone placements where we knew they were going to be killer and tune the drums up within four weeks I, I was I was done with the 10 songs and happily done
2: oh nice
0: and and, and, we, and we knocked it out you know that's how you do an album you can spend a half a year on an album if you want but you know what starts happening you start overthinking yeah, you start overproducing you start guessing shit yep you just we went in there we knew man we're cavemen of metal <laughs> we know this is not we are not reinventing a metal wheel we're just writing music and it's heavy metal yeah. what, what I mean what, how hard is it it's not rocket science it's just metal And that's what we did Yeah If you
2: had to explain To a younger person Like a millennial Or uh, you know A 20 something Maybe a, a late teenager If you had to explain to them Why metal is so much more popular Than say like hardcore is um, it exp- You know One thing I should Probably just ask you this Instead of that question Why is it death metal is why Why did death metal become so popular Back in a time where like you would think that back in the day they'd be more stringent right with like what's on TV or the airwaves or whatever but it seemed like a lot yeah. was coming through and a lot of like death metal really became like the forefront of like you know metal music was it because yeah. people were so used to like hair metal and you know kind of that kind of stuff it just seemed like the you know they, they could put like the Scorpions or Strider next to like you know death yeah. and other bands
0: I guess I mean I, I, it's probably a little bit of all that because um we know man scorpions and then hair metal and the dawkins and the rats and all the killer shredding solos that was all that 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 played its course out and mm-hmm. something was changing we we saw we we saw when 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 allison changed nirvana i mean oh yeah kurt, kurt cobain we know he 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 squashed, he he squashed a lot of that hair metal and thank god um <laughs> he 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 opened the he for my in my opinion he opened the doors for us because what what did it what did it what happened you know the Dawkins and the rats of the world those fans who were not shallow-minded but they were definitely not they were not going to branch they were not going to open their mind up and, and to hear something different but grunge did and 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 so then all of a sudden you got all kind of music you know it, it is now now it's an open now it's an open door so how how death metal uh started making its way i don't know i i don't have that answer i don't I, I still don't have any idea except that i do know one thing the musicians the talent that was behind these these bands and these albums that were coming out man um you can't deny it you can't deny slayer you you cannot deny the songwriting abilities even though they were not the greatest musicians not slayer dave lombardo carrie king jeff hanneman what I mean what what a power what what best band in the world but when you got like Hellhammer Celtic Frost riding to Megatheron and you hear that album how can't you think of how fucking gigantic it is and how killer and epic yeah you know and then and then of course the, the, the metal that we all know I mean Chuck Schuldiner I mean look at what he put together as a band and some of those musicians that were on those first few albums was absolutely incredible Mm -hmm. and then you know we we, obituary is the acdc of death metal we are not we are not running a thousand miles an hour we are not playing 1600 beats per second notes we are just putting down that groove and that that song that people just go that's pretty easy listening actually yeah and i don't know maybe that's why death metal fans were, were so drawn because um it's different it was different and it was extreme but it was it was good you yeah. know it was good the production was killer the drummers were becoming unbelievable and uh and then you know you just got great albums being written you yeah. know you just got fucking killer albums um coming out you know
2: yeah i wish i was uh of you know sound mind back in the day when i could watch that stuff unfold in front of me because i i look back at it now and i cuz you know, in dealing, Lambgoat deals in hardcore and metal, right? So we're, you know, it's it's always the best of both worlds kind of a thing. But, you know, when you step back and look look at it, metal is so much bigger, you know, in, in scope than hardcore is. And it's just like, you know, a lot, it's crazy because like things, genres like death metal or deathcore or anything that has to do with, with that is like, it, it's just nuts how, you know, because death—I I always think back because the '80s were just so crazy. A time where something like death metal just gets thrown to the forefront, and everyone, you know, kind of hears about it, sees about it, and it's just like, oh, okay.
0: And you yeah. wouldn't—I don't know if you would see that today.
2: You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. don't know if it would have gotten the same opportunity today.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I don't even—I don't even have an answer or a comment. <laughs> yeah. you, you pretty much—you pretty much just laid it out, and it's true. You, yeah. Who knows why? besides maybe just timing on this planet you know hardcore yeah. is the ultimate underground and it is it is for those underground fans and it is for them dudes that love their band so much they're tattooing their faces with their logos and their uh, emblems but that's hardcore man yeah. those people are so into it you can't get any more into it than Sick of It All fans and Agnostic Front fans and Madball people that love Madball I mean I mean goddamn I mean that's I don't know it's there's some music like they said, some music is made to stay underground, and it's kind of where that those hardcore fans it, how can it become um commercial it, it wouldn't it, they would riot against themselves probably yeah yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and, and
0: be and beat up us us death metal fans in the meantime, which we would deserve it <laughs> so you
2: guys are about to kick off a spring North American tour with immolation, yes sir, blood incantation and Ingrown. do you guys yeah. um do you prefer to have a lineup like that, or do you prefer like more of a mixed lineup so you can get new fans involved or or, or whatnot? You
0: know, yeah, yeah, no, uh, no, another good question. And and anyone that's following Obituary and, and if you did, not it's you you hit the nail on the head. So what Obituary just did, and and you know you got the fans that were like, why this tour? Why why why? <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, look at the Last American Tour we just w- were on. We were so goddamn lucky i was just on tour with carcass and a Amarth. yeah i yeah. mean heavy metal death metal heavy metal and and then there's us and cattle decap and it was just awesome but there's the fans that are like man obituary only a 40 minute set man you should just be headlining if obituary headlined every tour if obituary only headlined, we would only have so many fans we would have only obituary yeah. fans so to explain that to those people that are on the socials and they have nothing better to do but complain oh, you didn't come to Milwaukee and you missed a blah, blah, blah. We have a new album. It's been six years almost since the last album. We got offered a tour that we knew that were going to put us in front of Amon Amarth fans and they are blown up and they are amazing. And those fans are heavy metal fans. Same with the Europe tour. We just did trivium and heaven shall burn yeah. and obituary fans could not have been more huffy puffy why aren't <laughs> you here playing for uh 22 song an hour and 59 minute set uh well because first of all 50 year old dudes are not going to be playing for an hour and 59 minutes i don't care what tour we're on but the the point is those are heavy metal fans and Trivium fans, they love heavy metal. Heaven Shall Burn fans. I mean, he- Heaven Shall Burn, I was not very familiar, honestly. I wasn't familiar with those guys. A, some of the nicest human beings I've ever met in my life. They could not be nicer Germans than I've ever fucking met. Their crew and everybody. And they're, I mean, that music is pretty fucking heavy, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, was, I was blown away. Especially their performance, their production, their live show. It was awesome. And so my, back to my point is, Obituary has an album out, a new album. What well, is the smartest thing we could do? We can get in front of fans that are like, you know what, I, I've never saw this band, I've, I've seen that obituary logo all over, all over the place for so many years, I've never seen them before. Then we have the opportunity to hopefully win a few of them over. So the next time obituary shows up, we have some Heaven Shall Burn and some Trivium fans showing up. And that was our goal. And, uh, and it was two successful tours, man. The American tour with Amman and and Heaven Shall Burn in Europe, it was awesome. So now here we go obituary finally gets to land and back in America we have our dream scenario let's put immolation on this let's put blood incantation and ingrown and let's go have a death metal fucking tour and let's <laughs> let go. the fans let the fans go death metal fuck all that other shit and we're gonna give it all we got we're gonna play stuff off every album we're gonna fucking play these new songs off this new album r- shoving it right up all our fans is ass right down their throats because I love the new album and it's time for us to to to, to go do a proper obituary headline fucking U.S. tour. There and you go. so all the, everyone that missed it because they didn't want to spend the money to see Amon, which you're an idiot if you missed us and Carcass opening for them. It, hopefully people were smart enough to see it because it, what an amazing tour it was. Yeah. But here we go. Yeah. We finally get to do a headline tour and, and play uh, for more than a 35-minute set we're you know, we're gonna give it all she got every night And we're and we're we're breaking out the songs that everybody wants to hear and along with that All the songs that we want to play on the off this new album, and there will be enough of them to to give people a taste of the new record on this out on this tour coming up awesome
2: Well again congratulations on the release of dying of everything uh, right on, again, brother. It is a great album uh, it's been a great conversation, talk, Florida man. Awesome. To Florida man, I appreciate it. Awesome. When I, whenever I get a local, you know, local homie <laughs> on the, on yeah, the show, it's uh, you Let me can definitely the tell. Blue skies one more time. <laughs> it's all about that for everybody
0: man. like in Minnesota right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, in the snow. Uh, yeah, everyone in the snow. But yeah, man, great, great having you on, and I uh, cool, to see you at some point in the next upcoming tour. Probably the first date. North Carolina is the closest date to us, so we'll probably try to come out there for that. But. Yeah, Donald. Thank you for your time, man. And keep it up. And we'll see you in the next right couple. The, the you know the next release.
0: Right on. And I can just I can say honestly that was fun for me. I hope that was fun for the fans. Hope that was not too much shit coming out of my mouth with the with the with the long winded uh, sentences. But
2: no man, we I are think...
0: so prepared. We're so prepared for this U.S. tour to really give it, and uh, and it's going to be a, an awesome an awesome show coming up. So hopefully everyone comes out and uh and joins us for the celebration of dying of everything yeah
2: we'll do and i think you had a great uh i think we loved your you know off-topic conversations that's Good. what we love here on the show <laughs> cool. gives uh, everybody cool. a little insight so you know it's not the same typical q a where I try you know
0: awesome man see you guys in may Hey, right. and come find me come find do. me if you're if, if if we're in town let's have let's have a beer
2: we'll do for sure all right
0: donald right thanks man
1: see you guys later.